Well, good morning. How are you doing? It's, uh, I think after that, good luck, right? I mean, uh, no pressure after that, but uh, it is an incredible privilege just to be with this morning. And as Mark said, we uh, have a great relationship and friendship. God is building us stronger together, so we love that, just with this couple, with this leadership team, but also with you as a local church. We do, I, I don't know if we could say we love you as much as them, but we certainly do love you. As much as we can, we pray for you, we contend with you, we carry something of what you're carrying, we walk through the journey, the celebration, and the pain and the challenges, and that's what it means to be in partnership. We're not just there for the good times, we're there through it all, because it's bigger than us, and it's for the King and His Kingdom. And so we do appreciate that. Thank you for the introduction, the friendship, and the, even inviting us in. It's a real privilege just to come share to God with you. And uh, as Mark said, you're not going to get a happy meal this morning, that is for sure. Uh, but I do hope that what I share this morning will challenge all of us. And can I just kind of be straight up this morning and say this? Don't be offended by what I say if it's the Word of God. And the reason I'm saying that is actually many people forget that any preacher who's worth their soul, any preacher who's true to the Word of God, you've got to understand that the Word of God is a mirror before it is a lens. In other words, the things that God is saying, He's not just saying to you, He's saying that to me as well. It's a mirror for me as well as a lens for us. And so God is taking us on this incredible journey. And, and, and this morning, if He wants to remind us of some things and, and, and challenge us uh, to keep on moving into what it is that God has. I keep saying this. I've had the privilege, Nicole and I, of leading a few churches, a couple of churches thus far. And our role as, as pastors or elders is, is to comfort those who, who are disturbed, can I say like that? But now my role has shifted, having no longer leading local church, but being involved in this ministry and traveling and ministering into local churches, I, I've moved from comforting the disturbed to rather disturbing the comfortable. Uh, and that's not where you get too many amens, so I get that. But I'm not here for me. i got no dog in this fight, although we're friends and we want to see you live in what God has. So the challenge that comes, be ready for it, respond to it. And if we're living in it, carry on. If we're not, let's adjust our lives to stay the course and be who God's called us to be. So thank you for the privilege. If you have a Bible, I'll ask you quickly to turn in it to Psalm 84. Psalms 84. I hope you can understand my accent. I'm Australian. I can't help it. But I'm proud to be an American. So what can I say about it? Uh, but it is, hopefully, if I'm speaking too fast... It's, uh, just put your hand up and I'll just receive that, that, that and slow down if I can. But I'm excited about what God's doing and I uh, trust that you are too. Psalms 84. How, let me ask you a question. And I love asking this question because it, it, it gets people to squirm a bit. How many of you believe you're prophetic? Put your hand up if you're prophetic. <laughs> a couple of hands. Some are fully up there. Others are. You see how people squirm? It's like we're not sure how to answer that because... I think at times we've limited the prophetic to some things. And while I simply believe from Scripture that being prophetic is perhaps at times a gift, there is the gift of the prophet which we see in Scripture. And so perhaps that's why if you don't feel you're that, you're not going to put your hand up. And I understand that. So, so sometimes we have this limited view of being prophetic as it's a gift given by Christ for the church. And I do believe in that, but I don't believe it's just that. The others perhaps will say, yeah, well, I believe in the gifts of, and the, the gift of prophecy. And at times I've moved in that, I've walked in that. So again, I, I, I'm, I, my hand's half up. 
because I'm sort of that. I have had that happen in my life before, and that's great. But again, friends, we cannot and we should not limit being prophetic to a gift or to an office. See, when we read Scripture, we realize that it's not an event, it's not just a gift, it's not just an office, it's actually a people. We have been called by God to be a prophetic people. A people who are about the future. So, so what does it mean to be prophetic? Well, it's many things. But one of the things we believe from Scripture, what we see in Scripture, is that being prophetic means to see the future. It means also to prepare for the future. And, and then it means to become the future. So if that be the case, how many of you are prophetic? Okay, I'm going to have to go through this again. Every single one of you who are born again here this morning are a prophetic people. We've been called to be a people who are not of history, although we have one. We don't know for what was. We've been called as God's people, as a church, as Impact Rock Church, to be a people who see somewhat of the future of what God has for us, who prepare today for that future, and then also to become that future. Because it's not enough just to see it. God wants us to be it and live in it and become it. And that's the desire of the Father this morning to remind us of being a prophetic people. So please, if I was to ask you again, please, if you're a believer, put your hand up this morning and say, I am prophetic. I don't have a gift prophecy, perhaps. Thank you. Now we can move to the next point. We're going to have to go through every point like this. But... But, but it's important, friends. And, and we, we see the gifts. We need the gifts. We see the office. We need the office. But we as the church, the followers of Christ, need to be a prophetic people who are seeing the future, who are preparing ourselves and the church for that future, and then becoming the future God's called us to be. Uh, then we can see the job getting done and for Jesus to come back. Psalms 84 and verse 5 says this. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Now, I could pause there and spend the rest of the morning talking about just that verse. Bless those whose strength is in Him, in you. Not in ourselves, not in our stuff, not in our giftings, not in what we've got. We are blessed because our strength is in Him. That's where our strength comes from, and that's where we go to for our strength. It says that whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Other uh, versions say, whose heart is on your path. I love that. That's something of what it means to be a prophetic people. Our strength is in and our hearts have been set on pilgrimage or on the path of the Lord. Verse 6, it says, as they pass through, you like, uh, like, looking like you Americans, I've been practicing. As they pass through the valley of Baca, now let me pause and say that that valley of Baca can be referenced as two things. It's either a place of tears or a place of giants. And so right to saying, blessed are those whose strength is in God, who've set their hearts at pilgrimage, and they move, they valley, as they pass through, they move through the valley of tears. How many of you, perhaps, if we're straight up this morning, have been through or perhaps are going through a season right now of some tears? 
It's been a painful, it's been a difficult one. We've had some mourning. and, and, and th- th- That's what he's saying. You go through this valley of tears, and some of you perhaps haven't been through a season of tears like ourselves. We've been through some giant season, taking down and slaying some giants in this season. And so the writer's saying, as you pass through this valley, the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, or the valley of giants, look what it says. It says, they make it a place of springs. They don't become like the place where they are. They change the place that they are to become a place of springs. Amazing for me. And I don't want to go down this rabbit trail where I can't come back. But how the church today is to so buy into the culture that we've become like the culture rather than we've changed our culture to become more what God wants it to be as the church of God moving. We don't become like this place. We change it. We bring life to, to where there is death. We bring healing to where there is disease. We bring life, friends, and we're constantly moving and changing the place where we are to be the place where God's called it to be. They don't settle in that place either. Do you see that? We don't settle in the place of tears or the place of giants, but we pass through. We move through into the things that God has for us. It says, the autumn rains also cover it with pool. And verse 7, to me, I think is one of the fruits of being a prophetic people. It says, they go from strength to strength. They go from strength to strength to strength to strength. See, God's desire, friends, is always for His people to go from strength to strength. Always to more. Always to more blessing, more inheritance, more anointing. And maybe at times it would be perceived that we go smaller, but it doesn't mean we go weaker. The fruit of being a pioneering people is that our sign of that fruit, the fruit is that we are going from strength to strength to strength. So as I've meditated and prayed for you guys, and I want to say that I believe God's desire and intent is that you keep moving into what God has rather than highlight what He had Rather than talk about the days of old, look to the future God has and know this, that in it all, through it all, through the moving through these seasons, it's always God's intent and desire to take us from a place of strength to a place of strength, a place of strength. And so we've got to embrace that if we're going to be the church that is a a, a prophetic people who's about seeing the future, preparing and becoming it. It's constantly moving into more of what God has. You see, friends... I'm not here to convince you this morning, but I am here convincing and hoping that God will convince all of us that what we're in is what God desires and what He embraces for us to go into. We've got to embrace with arms wide open. You, you can't read through Scripture and not see that Jesus has always intended for His church to be front-footed, to be proactive, and to be taking ground and not holding on. You can't read, and I recognize seasons and I recognize challenges, but we can't wait and hold back and raise the flag of surrender to things around us if we understand the church that Jesus built has always been a church that is front-footed, taking ground, storming the gates of hell, not hanging on and hoping for the best. And so in our seasons, we've got to be front-footed. And here, here's what I've realized more and more, is that the church today, and this is by observation, and you can amen this, because we're talking about all the other churches, just not you. 
So be free. We're talking about every other church in the whole of America and the world except Impact Rock. So we can amen loudly and say, yeah, those people, all right? But, 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 but what I've realized is that the church today has begun to, to slip to maintenance mode. And there's a problem when we get into maintenance mode. You might say this morning, well, we're not in maintenance mode, and, and I'm glad you feel like that, but let me highlight some things that happen when we're in maintenance mode, and then we realize that perhaps we have slipped in, and it's not an accusation, it's a challenge for the future. It's the challenge to see and become. Are we still seeing? Are we still becoming? Are we preparing today for tomorrow? And are we bringing in to that church and those people and the promises and the fulfillment of what it is? God has said. Well, well, when we're in maintenance mode, here's some things that happen. The upkeep of the church distracts us from advancing the kingdom of God. Amen. Not, not for us. Remember all the other churches? Of, yes, those churches out there. Ooh, another thing, just to think about, when we're in maintenance mode, I believe that church membership becomes a right rather than responsibility. Amen. It's okay. That's cool. Another thing, worship. When we're in maintenance mode, think about this. Worship becomes our weekly buzz rather than our catalyst for the mission God's given us. When we're in maintenance mode, our decisions become safe and domesticated rather than, can I say these words, bold and gutsy. Our prayers, if we do pray, become flabby or fleshy rather than kingdom-focused when we're in maintenance mode. Pastors or leaders become religious service providers rather than mission mobilize when we're in maintenance mode. When we're in maintenance mode, preaching becomes an inter- a form of entertainment rather than a battle cry. And one of the buzzwords of today is discipleship. And when we're in maintenance mode, discipleship becomes a sanctified version of our self-help rather than a recruitment of training to serve in the front lines of what God has called us to do. The Bible becomes a stimulus for self-exploration rather than a summons to join in God's global service. And lastly, for me, the most, and there's many more, I've just thought of a few, but probably the most tragic for me is that when we're in maintenance mode, Jesus becomes a mild means of self-fulfillment rather than a conquering king who summons us to serve in his army. Now you can say amen because we're talking about those other churches. But I just wonder what that means for you this morning in this room. Because to be a church that is about the future, becoming, seeing it, becoming, and preparing to become that, we cannot be a church that has slipped into maintenance mode and we've made it about us rather than about Him as the future that is required, the joy that is set for before, the things that God has for this church. Honestly, friends, it's going to require people who don't just slip into maintenance mode but stick to the God plan, keep moving into what God has. Regardless of who's here, it's what has God called you to do. And so, needless to say, that a church that is in maintenance mode, it means death to that church's future 
for sure. So what do we need to do? Well, I, I do want to just highlight for the next few moments that I have left some priorities for a prophetic people. And then again, who's prophetic? Put your hand up if you're prophetic. Okay, good. More hands on deck, all right? By the end of today, I'm hoping all your hands will go up. But just for a prophetic people, for Impact Rock Church, if we're serious about being this, a, a prophetic people, a people who are seeing the future, preparing for it and becoming it, then we need some priorities. And I want to just highlight some of those priorities this morning. And I trust that we'll embrace them. If we're doing them, we carry them. If we're not, let's get on these things as we walk in what God has. So the first thing is obviously, and I've already mentioned it, but a prophetic people is about the future. Our first priority is the future. You know, the thing about us, if we are prophetic, and I've, I mix with prophets, and I live with prophets, and we have prophets on our team. And, but the thing about a prophetic people often is this. Even a prophetic place, we think in weeks or months or at best years. But God is a God of generations. God doesn't think in weeks, months, and years. God thinks in generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so as a people of the future, we should not just be thinking of today, the next three years, or five years, or the next 21 days, or the 40 days, or 40 days of purpose. Or, or They're important, but we should be, as a church, Impact Rock Church, was planted not by a couple who were bored and tried some stuff, by God through a people who put some things in place, and I'm convinced if this is from God, this should be a church for generations, even when you're not here anymore. And if you're not building that way, then you'll never be that way. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So, we, I mean, friends, we think, I think, because as Mark said, I lead, Nicole and I lead this team, and we've got 500 t- team members plus tens of thousands of churches, no exaggeration, but this have got in partnership with us, and it's very easy for me and for us to just build according to how we feel for what we want, and to heck with the next generation, with all due respect. As long as we have some glory days in our time, good luck to them, they can work it out with God. But no, God intended His people always to be generational people. We build for the next generation, we build with the next generation. And the point I'm making is not an age thing alone. It's a thing we put into place today. The stuff we put into this church. The stuff we let go in this church. The things that we think don't matter anymore. Those things have ramifications for generations. And so we've got to not make decisions today for today. Or do things today for today. Or give up today for today. Realizing actually it's about the future Weeks, months, and years. No, generations to come. You see, what we believe about our future, friends, it determines how we live and lead today. If you have this negative view, if you live in the the downside of what the future looks like, and the fear and all the stuff we're facing, I get the realities of life. But if that's your view of the future, it's going to determine what you do and how you live today. And I want to tell you, this church has to think beyond the negative and look to the big picture of what God's called you to do and say, we stick to the God plan and we're going to live and lead with the future in mind because we're going to see this become, even maybe in our day not, but the next generation will walk in the bigness of what God's called us to. You see, past thinking churches build monuments but future thinking churches build formation and with ministries. 
We don't. And we, of course, we highlight the eight years or whatever it is you've been. And thank you, God, for all the seasons we've been through. And we need to give honor and glory to the Lord for that. But there's no future in that. A contended future of we're about mission. We're about future, about ministries. We're about what's still to come, not just monuments. And the church today has monuments everywhere, but very little future because we're not focusing on the future. There is no future in your past. Good, bad, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. The future is still to come. Future in our decision making. I'm going to step on a few toes, forgive me. The decisions we make today have ramifications for the next generation. The decisions we make today determine a whole lot of what the future is requiring of us. I'm going to say, if you're following Christ, then all your decisions, all my decisions, actually are spiritual. Every decision I should be making is a spiritual decision if I'm for the future and if I'm following Jesus Christ. I think the two greatest challenges that face the church today, and I'm part of the church, so it's me too. The greatest challenges, two greatest challenges, are inability to hear God <laughs> and our unwillingness to do what it is He said. This is not a happy meal, clearly. Friends, just by observation, not even revelation, the church has this inability today to hear God. We're too busy listening to people or reading books and nothing wrong, but we're actually missing what God said. And what I've realized is that in your position, it doesn't give you this hotline to heaven. I used to think that, like for I look at elders today and I say, you know, elders, you better be hearing God for God's people. You better not just have good ideas. You better be hearing God. But I've always thought that elders or pastors or even my role as this team leader is that because of my position, I have this hotline to heaven. And I've realized it's got nothing to do with position or role. It has everything to do with my relationship with God. I'm married to Nicole, 21 years in. And let me tell you the wonderful thing about my wife. Not because of my role as her husband do I know her voice. It's as my relationship is developed, I know the voice of my, my wife. And I can hear my wife calling in a room of thousands of people because I know her voice. Not because I'm her husband, because I spend time developing my relationship with my wife. The challenge to us this morning, we think, well, it's up to our leaders to hear God. No, no, it's up to every single one of us in this room who are followers of Christ to hear God. And it's not going to happen from moment to moment, circumstance to circumstance. It's actually going to happen the more we build relationship with Jesus, which doesn't come through your leaders, comes through you being with Jesus and with God. Are, are you there, friends? And so our inabilities to hear God is because we're listening to the voices except his voice. And then the second thing, as I highlighted, is our unwillingness to what he says. It's called active hearing. Have you heard about that? It's rampant in our homes. And when we raise up our children, my three sons, they all three were born with the same disease. Active hearing. One's 18 now, one's 15, and one's 12, and they still carry this disease. It's tragic. It's life threatening. It's called selective hearing. But so does the church suffer with that today. So do leaders in the church because we hear God, but we're not willing to do what He says because perhaps it doesn't fit into the plan we have. But I'm going to say, friends, the prophetic people need to, in our decision-making, hear God and do what it is He's called us to do. You there? 
Let me tell you, the, the greater your relationship with the Lord, the more He requires and asks of us. Amazing Abraham. I use the story of Abraham and Ephraim. God to Abraham and called him to go to a place he didn't know where he was going, but he went. And God built this relationship with Abraham, and Abraham had this amazing relationship with God. And then God promised him a son and all these wonderful things, and then he forgets his son, and God says, now take your son and put him on the altar. And we know the story in Genesis 22, but God didn't do that for God. He did that for Abraham and for Isaac to realize the provision of God. But in that, friends, God didn't start there with Abraham. As they built relationship and as he, God requested more and different. The point I'm making in this is that the more we walk with the Lord, the more requests that come from us, from Him for us. And they're not hardcore, but it's because we can trust Him because He's reliable in the situation and circumstances. And that's why I love this relationship with our Father. I was thinking, Nicole and I relocated here uh, eight and a bit years ago and we moved here from Australia. Before that, we were in California, which is where Nicole was from. And so, I mean, to be honest, we'd never been to Colorado. It's a beautiful place. But I remember God speaking to us about moving here. And we'd never been here from Australia. And uh, we knew no one here. Uh, and so we were like, I remember saying to Nicole, Babe, do you want to go see Denver before we move there? Because she had lived only in, in California in those days. Why would you go anywhere else? So that's, sorry, that's just, it's changed. But. So she'd never been here, all right? And I'm like, babe, do you want to go see Colorado before, or Denver before we go? That was my wife's amazing answer. If I don't like it, are we still moving there? And I said, yes, because God has spoken. We're going to move there. And then she was simply said, well, then why do I need to go see it? I'm so grateful. You saved me a lot of money. But anyway, that... But here's the thing. The point was, if God said it, we're going to do it. I remember us flying into Denver, Colorado, and we had never seen snow in our lives. I mean, I'm from Australia. What is snow? We love beaches and sun. And it was snowing. But it was such a beautiful place. We are so grateful for the place He's called us to. But it wasn't, if you like it, will you go? It's, will you go and do what I've called you to do? And that didn't just come off. It's just, are you there, friends? It's not like, do we like it? It's settled in our hearts. Yes, Lord. In this relationship, in the decisions we make as a church, where are we going? If you say it, we're going to do it, Lord. I, I think about um, um, Peter, the fisherman. Who's the fish? Peter. And, and Jesus. I mean, these guys have been, guys, just for a moment. They've been fishing all night. And they've caught no fish. And Jesus arrives as a carpenter. I mean, Jesus, that means he built things. He didn't know how to fish. And he arrives and he says, hey, go cast your, your net out. And, and this is what Peter says. Lord, we're fishing all night. And we've caught nothing. But because you say so. In, in actual fact, what Peter, I think, could have said, look, Jesus, you don't know much about fishing. If you hold the table for us to eat the fish on, that's cool. But to tell us how to fish when you're not a fisherman. But he didn't say that. What did he say? Because you said so. And guess what? They caught much fish they needed. Why? Because you said so. It's not this makes sense. It's not we've tried this. We've got to be a people in our decision making, friends. It's not up to Mark and Kara and the elders here. But the individuals, young and old, to say, Lord, if you say so, because you say so, in our decision making, we will do what you've called us to because we're about the future, not just what happened in the history. In our dreams, our vision, the, the future in dreaming, friends. And let me just step on a couple of more toes. If you build his dream, his dream will build you. But some of us have our own 
dream for our lives and our, our families, and that's great, but we've got to get back to the God dream. We, we're here for Him. He's not here for us. And I want to tell you, you take care of the house, He'll take care of yours. And it doesn't mean we don't go through challenges and seasons. It just means, don't... I'm not... If people ask me, Tyron, are you living your dream? And I can honestly say, no, this thing I'm living in is way bigger than my dream. This is a God dream. I don't want to live the dream. I want to live God's dream. And God's put this church here not to live a dream, the dream, but to live His dream. Which means God will be bigger than us and will always be bigger than us. And, and the thing I want to say to you, please, this morning, is don't let the details, all the stuff of how, destroy the, what God has said. I don't know how, but I trust God. I don't have all the answers. And the role we play, it's bigger than us at every level. And I've got to nations and regions and cities day after day, week after week. And I'm overwhelmed with what's going on. I'm like, how, Lord? And I don't know how, but this I do know how. If you said it, I want it to be your dream, not what I can come up with, friends. I'm not trying to change you this morning. There is a future required for you as individuals, as a church. God's saying, are you living your dream? Have you settled in the dream? Are you trying to live a dream or in the dream of God? And the dream of God is always about the future. Another downside of the future is difficulties. What about difficulties? A.W. Tozer said this, the more difficult the journey, the more satisfying the destination. You see, difficulties cause us to stop thinking about the future and begin just living for the now. And sorry, and I get that, friends. We all face it. And I, I'm not, not challenging you not to face it. I'm saying, what do you do in those situations if you're about the future? We contend for what God's called us to, not settle and just begin to live what was or what is. Journey in the desert, in the difficulties. I've watched most people, and I've realized that God, the devil doesn't use one-off. He uses this the, the method of gradualism to wear us down as God's people. He gradually just wears us down. One thing to the next thing to the next. And before we know it, we've actually just settled because difficult days on us. It's not a one-off. It's this constant grinding us down to settle in what is rather than what is to come. And, and I'm, I want to say that we've got to spoken about mountains as opposition all the time. <laughs> I... I I know that mountains should be moved and we can move and if you have faith of a mustard seed we can move mountains. But somehow we've made mountains opposition. And I'm going to just say that sometimes mountains are part of our inheritance. Just look where we live. That out there is not an opposition. That's the beauty of where we live. They are not opposition standing in the way. It's part of where God's called us. And what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we've got to contend and war and battle through and on mountains, but it doesn't mean move the mountain. It means give me my mountain. Caleb said to Joshua, give me my mountain. Give me my inheritance. He didn't say I'm going to remove this mountain because it's in the way. He said this mountain is my inheritance. Another situation when we moved here, I was thinking back to it when we relocated. I was living in Australia on the beach, friends. All right, I love the beach. I'm still trying to get used to the mountains and snow. Eight and a bit years, snow still freaks me out. I'm not ready for the snow again. Here we go. But I don't know how to drive and shing is hard work and all the joys that come with it. I know it's beautiful, but rain's easier. Anyway, we're going to get there. But, but I remember sitting on the cliffs at Hello Cove where we used to live, looking over the water. God had spoken. God had told others, everywhere we went, we were prophesied, moved to Denver. Even I was in, we were in Malaysia ministering. 
And people came up to us and said, you're going to move to Denver, Colorado. We, Where's Denver? Where's Denver? Where? And so we began, and I, I said, I'm going to take a week to go and pray and hear God, what He says. And I was sitting on the cliffs overlooking the sea in Australia, right where we lived. And I felt God say this to me, your valley season's over. It's mountain time. I just look across your rocky mountains and I said, that was the confirmation. Not your opposition. That's your inheritance. I think sometimes the things God's giving to us, we've tried to get rid of as opposition rather than to contend for because it's part of your inheritance. And some of what you guys are facing today, honestly, friends, I believe if you understand being a prophetic people, is you're contending for a future that's part of your inheritance, not some obstacles to be removed, but some mountains to be embraced and conquered and taken advantage because that's part of God's call for you. We're people of future. Our desires need to be His eyes. Our dreams, our decision making, so on. Alright, so that's one. Let me quickly move to another few and then I'm going to finish. But I, that was the longer one, alright? Secondly, not only do we need to be a people of, our priority is the future, but also secondly, we need to be focused. If we're called to see, prepare and become the future, then our priority must be stay focused. I love this nation dearly, but I'm telling you, we in the church in this nation are incredibly distracted by so many good things. And I get that. I'm saying that comforts are wrong and convenient, but I am saying that are we focused on the things God's called us to do? As a people, if we say yes to what God's called us to do, that means we're saying no to a lot of other things. But if we say yes to everything, we'll never walk in that. And so the thing we've got to learn to do is not... Not be distracted, because we live in a place of distraction everywhere. If you don't want any more distractions, then you're going to have to evacuate the planet. So we've got to actually learn to live with distraction without becoming distracted. And so a prophetic people is about the future. It's about focus. Stay focused. Settle in what God's called you to do as individuals, but also as a local church, friends. Can I please beg of you, instead of trying to do everything every other church is doing, be true to who God's called you to do, be, and what He's called you to do. And if those doors open for those other ministries, then so be it. But I watch the church exhausted trying to be all the other churches rather than be authentic and true and focused to what it is God's called Impact Rock to be. You'll never hit the mark if you're trying all marks. You'll never find that place and become that if you're trying to be everything. Even for Nicole and I, we've had to settle what is it God's called us to do and we settle what He's doing with others, but we better stick focused. Otherwise, we'll never be what God's called us to be. Got to be focused. And if I can be honest, prophetic people are generally very unfocused. We're all about everything. Stay focused. Stay focused. Keep the main thing the main thing. Be authentic. And that's part of being focused. Be who God's called you to be. That's what God wants here. People who are free to be there. So being focused is the second. Thirdly, be flexible. Now, these kind of work hand in hand together. It's not just focus with my way or the highway. We don't want to miss anyone. We need to be flexible. I love that Isaiah 55, in verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As heads are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and your thoughts, my thoughts than yours. In other words, God's saying, you can't come to me pragmatically. You can't look at your future pragmatically. God's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
My ways are not your ways. And, and while we are pragmatic, we've got to go to God and know that God's, He's saying, we, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and thoughts different to yours. This is not this big chasm that I have no access to Him. It's just recognizing God's not like us. And so to go to Him with what He wants, approach Him, not pragmatically, in our future. This is what I'm planning. This is how we're going to do it. We've got to be flexible. It doesn't always work out how we want it to work out, how we've planned it. I look back at my life and the ministries we've been involved in, and I want to tell you, nothing has worked like we thought it would, but it's always worked. But it's been God's way, God's timing. So if you're stuck on your way, my way, you're going to end up in your way, not God's way. We've got to be flexible. You know, I'm big on leadership and I'm still convinced that a, that a church rises or falls based on its leadership. I do believe that still. Leadership is vital and strategic. But in our effort to be good leaders, and I've done this many times, we've often taught leadership and this is what leadership looks like and you've got to say yes to the call of God and say no to all these other things and there's truth. But I've studied the life of Christ recently again. I've gone through the Gospels. Because I want to be like Christ. I, I sing songs about Him. I want to tell people. But I want to minister like Jesus. I want people to see Christ in me. I don't want to model my ministry around great ministries. I want to model my life and ministry like Jesus. That's what the world needs. is more Jesus-focused people. And so I, I've read and I've studied the Gospels recently. And I found something challenging. What I found was that there's a big difference. And Jesus was the greatest leader ever. But he was also the greatest minister ever. And ministry and leadership are not the same things. To be a good leader is not meaning that you're a great ministry. We need both. How do I know? Because leadership says, stick to the plan, stay the course, do what you're told, don't meet with it. And that's true. But ministry is about the needs of the people. And Jesus, in the Gospels, often ministered out of a place of interruption. Don't disturb me, I'm busy with the Lord's work. What? Spending time with God, reading my Bible. Yes, that's good leadership. But ministry means you've got to be where the people are if you're going to affect where they're at. And Jesus, I mean, if you look, I mean, somehow we thought, or maybe I just was ignorant. I used to think Jesus woke up every day and said, today I'm going to heal ten lepers, I'm going to raise five people from the dead because I've plan in place. That's what happened if you look at it. Jesus woke up, obviously, and he only did what he saw his fathers doing. I understand that. But Jesus ministered to people out of interruptions. And there were clearly teachings Jesus did that were systematic, the, 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 the uh, um, Beatitudes and that, they were planned where he pulled his disciples together and spoke to them on the mount. There were many other teachings we got in the New Testament and the Gospels that were out of interruptions. Uh, what must I do to be saved? The question was asked. Love the Lord your God. Well, who's my neighbor? The teaching on loving your neighbor, the Good Samaritan, all those teachings were out of re responses and interruptions. John 3, Nicodemus teaching on the new birth. He asked, what must I do to be born again? It was out of that question, Jesus unpacks his truth. John 4, the lady at the, uh, Samaritan, at, the, at the well, the water, he speaks on true worship by her questioning him. We can go right through scripture, friends, and we see that Jesus, the stuff we've been taught was out of interruptions. But also how he ministered. He ministered to people. He touched people's lives out of many. And probably the quintessential, if you just go read it, I think it's Mark, Mark chapter 5. When Jesus is on his way and the crowds are waiting and Jairus, 
comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. Please, Lord. And Jesus, as a good leader, would have said, get in touch with my secretary, find out what I need, and I'll meet you when I have availability. But right now, I've got to do because I'm a leader and I've got all these crowds waiting for me. But you know what Jesus did? He was moved with compassion. And you know what he said? This, lady, this guy, this, this girl, needs me more than this crowd right now. And so he leaves the crowd to go with Jairus to his house for the daughter. And listen to this. Here's the quintessential. An interruption to the interruption. He's on his way to that house when the lady with the issue of blood pushes in and says, and touches him. I mean, this is a disturbance, an interruption to an interruption. I mean, this is, as a leader, I'm irritated by what happened. I have a job to do. This crowd's waiting. I'm running to their house to get him healed. Then I'm going to run back to the crowd because leaders will be where the crowd is. On the way there, someone else pushes in. And wasn't she bumped him? She pressed in and Jesus stopped and he said, Who, can I say, has interrupted me? Who has pressed in? Who was that that touched me? It wasn't a touch. It was a pressing in and an interruption. Interesting that she, was, she had, been, had the issue of blood for 12 years. And the daughter was 12 years old. Why am I saying that? Because I think we're so focused at the church as doing church stuff and getting ministry. And I want to tell you, I've watched recently in my life, the best ministry moments have been the interruptions, not just the leadership context I've been given. And I think we've got it better as a prophetic people, not being so focused on the destination, we miss the journey and all the people around, and not being so focused on the people around that we miss the call, the mandate God has for us. This church's future is wrapped up in disturbances and distractions. But interruptions, but also sticking to the plan and settling what it is that God's called us to. Are you, are you with me? Fourthly, I'm finished. The fourth point, priority, is the Word of God. Firm in the Word of God. Stand firm in the Word, friends. A prophetic people, you know, I'm concerned, if I can say, how many prophetic people today are all about the new thing rather than the Bible. It's like, yeah, we get the Bible stuff, but actually God's on a new thing. No, no, God's on what He said. He's watching over His Word to see His Word fulfilled. Isaiah 48, it says that, uh, that, that in Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the word, flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. That's future. Psalm 119, verse 18, 9 says this, Your Word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. If it's settled in heaven, it's settled here on earth. Here's the thing for us. We better make sure that we're focusing on the Word of God and we're ministering the Word of God because God's not watching over my prophecy, my Word. He's watching over the words He's given us and we better have a biblical backing for what it is God's called to do. Are you there, friends? It gives every person in this room hope that what Mark and Karen, the elders, are there, if it's not in the Bible, with all due respect, God requires you not to do it. But if it is, then it's God's Word. It brings life. So the point I want to say is this. We need to learn the Word of God. How can we embrace that future if we don't know God's Word? We need to know the Word of God. We need to learn it. We need to study it. We need to meditate. And can I suggest, we need to die to it. Where my life doesn't line up with the Word of God, my life needs to die to God's Word, not God's Word dies to my life. It's so strategic, friends. 
I'm concerned in our nation how the church is losing her way with the Word of God. It's irrelevant, don't need it, old book. We started to play the game of the culture. God's not watching over good ideas. He's watching the Word. Get it in you. Know the Word and know the God of the Word. But we better be standing firm in Scripture and know what it is God's called us to do. Everything we do must have a a biblical backing. It was A.W. Tozer who said this, Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy. However harmless it may appear to be, we need the Word of God in us. Next quick point as I land is we need faith. We need to be a people of faith. You see, a prophetic people, a priority is faith. It's not a feeling. It's fact. It's a reality. We have to be a people who live by faith. You can't embrace your future if you haven't prayed for your future. And the author and the perfecter and the, the pioneer of our faith is Jesus, according to Hebrews 12. It's not some concept or feeling. It's pursuing Jesus Christ who gives us faith. He is the author, the giver of faith. But we need faith. And I I know that faith at times is something that is future-orientated. But let me tell you, there's now faith in the Bible. I I read this story in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. You know the story, right? Lazarus is dead. And Jesus is somewhere else. And he hears about Lazarus being dead. He doesn't run to Lazarus. He carries on. Four days later, he comes to Lazarus. He comes and Mary says this. uh, Martha says, If only you were here... Four days ago, my, my brother would not have died. That's called past faith. Maybe in this room this morning, if only this happened, if only that, then things would have been different. Think about that. You can't live if only. Jesus has said, no, no, your brother will be raised from the dead. And, and he, she said, yeah, in the resurrection. In other words, now future faith. One day when you return, and you, in the resurrection of Christ, my brother will be raised. So now she's moved it from past faith to yes, one day future faith. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, if only, but now it's too late. Or you might sit here and go, yeah, Tyron, I love what you're saying all about the future, but my faith is based for the future. And Jesus said, no, no, take me to your brother. He walked in there and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now faith. Now faith. Not if only was here, not one day, today impact rock church there's some now faith and he walks in there and he raises Lazarus who was dead for four days from dead. now faith I feel like there's a stir and I'm not cheerleading and if you know me I'm not a cheerleader I'm reluctant to say some of these things but as a prophetic people faith is now not one day not just future focused not history focused now there's some now faith for this church. There's some now faith for some individuals. And we've got to say, where's God now? Not where was He? Where will He be? But now. Because that's what it means to be a prophetic people. Faith. Faith. Yeah? No? Maybe? And lastly, la- la- lastly, we need to be faithful in all, uh, in all seasons. See, prophetic people are not just faithful when it's going well, and they're not just faithful, some of us who like pain, when it's going bad. Faithful in all seasons, in all ways. See, God's looking for faithful people, friends. That's the bottom line. Not for clever people, not for skilled people, not for great people, not for good people. Just faithful people. It's a truth. Is it okay to be down here as I land? It's, I just know the lights and... Anyway. Okay. Please hear this, friends. It's not an accusation. How many of you know there's more for you? Put your hand up. 
How many of you believe there's no more for you? This is, the, this is it. You might as well go to heaven now if you think this is it. There's a heck of a lot more with all due respect. God has promised more as individuals. We read this from strength to strength and for this local church. But here's the thing. God can't give more to people who are not faithful. Ah, here we go with faithfulness. Faithfulness is in not just faith, but faithfulness. Some of us got big faith and no faithfulness. We're not willing to do the little things. We just want the big stuff. We, and, and, and you literally tie the hands of God. God can't give to people who are not faithful with little. It's against what He believes. As a father, my sons, I love my children and there's nothing I won't give them. But if they're not faithful with what I've given them, what kind of dad am I to keep giving them more? Oh, you're a spoiling dad. Exactly. You don't understand. And we've got to trust. And, and why not say to you is this, friends? In all circumstances, in all situations, God's looking for faithfulness. What are you doing with what I've told you to do? What are you doing with the last word that I gave you? Being prophetic means we love to go to prophetic conferences and we we wear our red shirts so the prophet will see us and call us out. I mean, I know all the tricks. I want to sit in the front row, wear something red, not Broncos, orange, but orange so people know. And here am I, pink. Oh, you're so scared. You you want to hide because you're scared the prophets are going to expose your sin or whatever it be. And we want the next word for what God has for us. And here's what God says. What have you done? Or what are you doing with the last thing I said to you? I didn't really like that. doesn't matter. Are you being faithful in it? What are you doing when the church is doing really well? What are you doing when, it's, when you're struggling? Some have gone and some have hurt. Some have left. Whatever it is, whatever you face or the place you've come from, what are you doing with what God's called you to do? Are we allowing our circumstances to determine our theology? And everything changes because of our circumstances. Are we going to live by what the Word of God says and help change our circumstances? Really, I know this is sensitive to because I know some of your situation. But I'm not speaking as tyrant. I'm hoping God's speaking to you this morning. What are you doing with the last thing He said if you want another thing to be said? Let's just close our eyes, please. You know, I felt this just even in our singing. Can I just, can I minister for a moment? Mark, is that okay? Just, just close your eyes. I'm not going to make anything happen. Here's what I... While we were worshiping this morning, singing, I felt I felt that some of us have come for another word. We've come to hear a word. And that's good. And prophetic people are all about the word. I want to hear the word and I want to give a word. And that's good and that's right. And another Bible says faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes through the message, the word of God. I understand that. But there are times in Scripture where the prophet, what about Isaiah the prophet? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet, it was a difficult time. In the year that the king Uzziah died, King Uzziah died, was a good king. I mean, King Uzziah was a good king. He did some good stuff. He messed up at the end, but he, he and there was, but now there was trouble in the land. There was such uncertainty. So, and so Isaiah, I believe, was looking for a word from the Lord. And it says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. Interesting, he never got a word from the Lord, he saw the Lord. See, pretty people all want the next word from the Lord. And sometimes the Lord says, here's the word. But other times the Lord says, you don't need another word, you need me. From word to word, there are times the Lord says, you need to see me in my revealed place. I saw the Lord high and exalted. 
says the, tra- the train of his robe for the temple. And I fell to my knees saying, Woe is me, for I am a man of uncleanness. Amazing, the first five chapters of Isaiah is, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And then Isaiah has this revelation of God. And he says, Woe is me. I'm unclean and I live with those who are unclean. And the Lord says that the Bible says it touched his mouth and brought restoration, redemption. And then they said, Who will go for us? The word of commission came after the revelation of who God is. This is between you and God. I get that. But I feel like there are some of us with the right heart, right intention that are seated here this morning saying, God, I've come to hear a word. I need that word for my future. I need that word for my breakthrough. Even hearing this preach this morning has helped me to be focused back on the big picture. But God says, you didn't. You don't need a word. This morning, you need me. You need me to reveal myself to you. I'm going to ask you, friends, a few moments left. Would you respond? Would you stand up if you need to say, that's me? We're not embarrassing anyone. We just There's some business to be done this morning. The Lord's saying, you don't need a word. You need me. Just stand in. If you need to stand, just stand up and say, that's me, Lord. I, I'll take anything. Yes, a word's great, but you even greater. Just stand where you are. Don't worry others. Don't look around. This is business. God's doing some stuff in it. It's not about doing. It's about being. If you, those of us standing, would be brave enough, bold enough, just to raise your hands to Jesus. Not as a spiritual thing or religious thing but actually to open our hearts because I'd just like to pray for you this morning I'm not going to call you to the front I'm just going to ask you where you are just raise your hands and say Lord I need to hear you but more than that I'd love to see you would you reveal this morning again the greatness of the Lord you overwhelm me this morning with seeing you, your glory, your splendor. Just show yourself afresh this morning. Would you reveal? Show me you, Lord. Let that be my motivator, not some word that I'm hanging on to, but some king who is seated in that highest place. He's ruling and reigning supremely and magnificent. Full glory and full splendor. So you give us a fresh revelation this morning. That we can go from here commissioned by not what we've heard, but by what we've seen. Show me your glory, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your revealed Messiah to us. Thank you, you revealed yourself.
Thank you this morning in this room. You're touching lives. Touching lives. Can we just all stand together, please? If you're all bold enough, would you just all raise your hands? Do you mind raising your hands to the Lord? Let's all stand if we can. Father, I thank you for this incredible, incredible church. Thank you for these people. They come from all walks of life, young and old. We all have a history. It, in a sense, makes us who we are, but it does not define us who we can be. I pray this morning, the shackles, the death, the smell of death, the things that have hindered or stopped or tried to affect our future. This morning we can shake it off. Let the smell of life, God of the breakthrough, would you bring breakthrough this morning? Jesus, we love you. We desire to be who you've called us to be and do what it is you've called us to do. We want to be a church that is truly prophetic. We shake off the dust this morning. We remove the obstacle. We remove the chains. We ask for you to break the chains of addiction. Things that we're fighting to get rid of so we can embrace this future. Jesus, I ask in your name, break the chains. Break the chains of fear of the future the unknowns or the pain of the past or even situations this morning. Lord, I pray, would you be the revealer, the meet us where we're at, but not to keep us where we are, but to help us to pass through the valley of Baca. Place of tears, place of giants. Bring in the rain. May we be a people who hear you, but also a people who see you. We ask this. Bless these people. Bless church. Bless this leadership team. Bless. God, would you protect the future of this church? Do not allow circumstances to hinder the weeds of life to destroy. Would you bring clarity and purity and sound the trumpet? Bring people from far and wide to carry this call to be a future-focused church. And we give you, Jesus, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise that is due your name to our God. All the glory. In Jesus' name.